Good evening. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. I think I've mentioned before that when I turned 16, my grandfather invited me over to his house so that he could give me my birthday present. I was excited because my grandfather gave the best gifts. And so I arrived at his house and there was some strange man sitting in the, in the kitchen at the table. There was a stack of papers in front of him and my grandfather asked me to come in and sit down. He then explained to me that the gentleman who was there was a part of my birthday present. I thought that was odd, but he was an insurance agent. And for my 16th birthday, my grandfather had purchased me a rather hefty life insurance policy. Now my immediate reaction was, come again? I mean, I'm thinking a car or something. This was not the gift I expected. What do I need with a life insurance policy? I'm 16, I'm never gonna die anyway. Can I trade it in for something more exciting like a new truck? Of course, now that I'm older, I've come to appreciate what my grandfather did. But I think all too often that's how people look at baptism, as a life insurance policy. I get baptized and that's it. I'm safe and secure. We do it and forget it. We get baptized because it's what you're supposed to do. In case you die, you're covered. But my friends, baptism is not a life insurance policy. Baptism is not a security clause. Baptism isn't about death. It's about life. In fact, your whole life as a Christian is shaped by your baptism, which is why we need to have a proper understanding of what precisely it entails. If you go and get baptized because everyone else is doing it, if you go and get baptized to satisfy your wife or your husband or your mom or dad, or if you got baptized in order to join a church, if you get baptized as an outward display of an inward faith, then you didn't submit to a scriptural baptism because none of those reasons are valid for immersion. You know, I used to, I used to worship at, a, at another congregation where there was a sweet lady who, who came our way and, and she wanted to place membership with us and the elders and I spoke with her and, and we learned that she had been immersed when she was younger. She had understood the proper mode and purpose of baptism. She had been taught correctly concerning baptism and its place in the plan of redemption. She had worshiped for many years at uh, another church, but had decided that she wanted to be a part of the congregation where uh, I was at at the time. And she came forward one Sunday and she expressed her desire to be a part of our family. One of the elders related her story to the congregation and then prayed for her. But apparently this wasn't good enough for, for one of the members. I could hear from behind me him say something of the effect, what are we just gonna accept everyone now? And when services were over, I, I just kindly asked him what he meant by the comment, and it seems that he felt the woman should get baptized again. I asked him why. And he struggled to articulate his reasoning, but it boiled down to the fact that she wasn't baptized at our church, and therefore, we don't really know if she was baptized for the right reasons. He did say, I just think it would be better if she did it, and I responded, well, but you don't know if I've been baptized, and I'm your preacher. I'm not positive that anyone here has been baptized, at least the ones that I haven't seen. And where in the Bible does it say that the purpose of baptism is for appeasing other Christians? There's another situation that I was somewhat involved in in which an elderly gentleman who had also been baptized years prior had decided to leave the church where he was at and come and worship at the church where I was attending. His wife had worshiped uh, there at, for many years, but uh, he had not. And, and one day he decided it was time that they attend church together. And she had been 
with him for, for quite some time and, and talked to him about being baptized at, at, at our church or her church. And she felt that it was the right thing to do, even though he had been immersed for the remission of sins years prior. One Sunday evening, he answered the invitation and much to everyone's delight, especially his wife's, he was baptized. And, and when he came up out of the water, he kind of softly said, I hope this satisfies her. But you know, he didn't submit to baptism. He submitted to someone dunking him under the water, but it wasn't a death, burial, and resurrection as Paul describes it. It wasn't for the remission of sins as Peter referred to it. And it wasn't to clothe himself in Christ. It was to make his spouse happy, which is not a reason given for baptism. It's not just important that one be immersed. It's also vitally important that we understand why. And it's not just about the why before we're baptized, it's about the why after we're baptized. Because baptism is not something you do and forget. You know, since the day my grandfather took out that life insurance policy for me, I haven't thought about it more than maybe half a dozen times. We tend to do that with baptism, right? Like a life insurance policy, it's there when we need it, otherwise we don't really think too much about it. But have you noticed that the vast majority of the time that the New Testament speaks of baptism, it's talking to baptized people? That should tell us something, right? For instance, isn't Paul speaking to individuals who've already been baptized? He's talking to people who have already been immersed and he's reminding them of their baptism and how it should affect their lives. That's what we should be doing as well. All of us who have been immersed for the remission of our sins should consider our lives in light of our baptism. Now, before we go very much further, let's get something straight. There's a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to baptism, and it's not all outside of our fellowship. There are many members of the Lord's Church who simply don't understand what baptism is and what it does. So, let's start with some key points considering baptism. First of all, baptism is not an additive. It's an expression. Many have the mistaken belief that baptism is an addition to faith. Maybe our five-step approach has created some of this, I don't know. Baptism is not merely a step that we add to faith. No, baptism is an expression of faith. Baptism is not an addendum to faith. Baptism is the proper response to a living faith. Many in the religious world make faith and baptism mutually exclusive, or they treat baptism as an afterthought. Even in some of our own brotherhood uh, churches, uh, the idea is, is garnered that baptism is the most important step in the salvation of a sinner. But that's not correct either. Living faith expresses itself in obedience. And baptism is the natural response of one who, by faith, seeks to obey God's will. Peter said, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is our way of crying out to God, Lord, make me clean. Secondly, we do not save ourselves by being baptized. And this is a really important point because it is erroneous to conclude that baptism is a work. I've had individuals say to me, and perhaps you have as well, but if you believe that, that baptism is, in, is essential for salvation, then you believe that salvation is by works. And, and I always respond with, no, I don't. I, I believe that we are saved by grace. And the person making that conjecture says, they, they kind of look shocked as if they've never heard their accusation refuted in that manner by someone from the Church of Christ. But what the Bible says about baptism 
is in perfect harmony with what it says about grace and faith. We're not saved by good works. We are saved by God's grace, period. We are only saved by trusting in God's power to save us. Baptism is not something we do to earn that salvation. It is something we do to express it. Paul stated this very well in Ephesians chapter 2 when he said, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. The only thing that we have earned is death and punishment. The only way we can be saved is by God's amazing grace. However, grace does obligate. The gift demands a response on our part. And this response is a product of living faith, not a work of merit. It's an acknowledgement of the grace of God and His power to save us. It's also an act of obedience that says, I trust you, God. I surrender to you. Make me clean. Like faith and like repentance and like confession, baptism has no ability to remove sins on its own. The power to remove sin is not found in the water, nor in the one doing the baptizing, nor in the one submitting to the baptism. Power is found in the blood of Christ. It's the blood of our Savior that washes us clean. Third, baptism is not a sign or a seal. There are some who liken baptism to circumcision in the Old Testament. It's believed by many in the religious world that baptism is an outward sign, that a person is under covenant. Now, it is true that covenants are accompanied with signs or seals. However, baptism is never, never referred to as a sign or a seal of the new covenant. God seals his covenant people with the Holy Spirit, not baptism. Paul said as much in Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14, it says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. It's not biblical to say that baptism is a sign or a seal of the new covenant. And I realize that Colossians 2, 11 through 13, makes a comparison between baptism and circumcision. However, baptism is not called circumcision in this passage. It's called a burial. Only those who have been buried can be brought to life. You think of baptism being like the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea. It's symbolic of the people going from slavery to freedom. And likewise, once we have passed through the waters of baptism, we are sealed by God. We belong to Him. The Israelite seal was circumcision. Ours is the Holy Spirit. Number four, baptism is for the forgiveness of your sins and not because your sins were already forgiven. In Matthew 26, 27 and 28, Jesus said, And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Did Jesus mean that his blood was poured out because sins were already forgiven? Could he have meant that he was going to shed his blood as an outward sign that sins were already forgiven? The Greek actually renders the phrase, in order for sins to be forgiven, and it translates the exact same way in Acts 2.38. In fact, the little word ace, E-I-S, which means for, never means because in the New Testament. Never. That's not how the word is used. And to claim that ace can mean because is not even bad Greek, it's just not Greek at all. It's merely twisting and contorting the original language to fit some theological agenda. It's interesting to note that the English Standard Version, the New International Version, and the King James Version, the New American Standard Version, they all translate ace as for the forgiveness of sins. 
Even some of the more popular paraphrased versions of the Bible do not accept the because of rendering. The message, the New Living Translation, the ERV, and the CEV all hold to the proper translation of ace. And finally, baptism is a union with Christ. It's being united with Him in His death and being united with Him in His resurrection. Paul describes this beautifully in Romans chapter 6. Starting in verse 3, it says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have, been, if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of of his resurrection. The miracle of conversion happens when we are united with Christ and his blood. There's nothing supernatural about the water. Nothing in the water gives us eternal life or washes away our sins. Jesus does that. By faith, we are buried in a watery grave and we are resurrected a new creature in Christ. You know, today, there is an ongoing debate about the necessity of baptism and the role it plays in the salvation of the sinner. And I'm sure you've noticed that the belief we hold concerning baptism is not the norm. The vast majority of the religious world does not view baptism in the same light as we do. Many believe it's important, but do not go as far as saying that it is essential to salvation. But have you noticed that this was not a debate had by people in Scripture? When Peter's sermon pricked the hearts of those listening on the day of Pentecost, it prompted a question. What must we do? And Peter says, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, as far as we can tell, no one responded with, Yeah, but do I really have to be baptized? Nobody said, Well, it sounds like I'm hearing you say that I have to be baptized. Is that right? Yet people today question baptism constantly. I rarely hear anyone question repentance or confession. But bring baptism into the equation and religious folks lose their minds. Why? Why do people ask, do I have to be baptized? Why do people inquire, can I be a Christian and not be baptized? I mean, why do folks ponder this? Anytime someone asks me, do I have to be baptized in order to be a Christian or in order to be saved or in order to go to heaven, I always respond with, why do you ask? They didn't ask in the first century. They asked one question and it was this. What do I need to do? And Peter told them. When he told them, they didn't ask another question after that. They repented, they got baptized, and they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. They just did it. They didn't philosophize. They didn't split hairs or try to rationalize how it's not necessary. They didn't say to Peter, yeah, but, but what if you were in the desert and there wasn't any water? They heard. They repented and were baptized. They did what they were told. But as you've heard me say more than a few times, Baptism is not the finish line. Baptism is not the goal. Your baptism is not an insurance policy. You don't get baptized and forget it. No, the rest of your life post-baptism should be about living out your baptism. That's the message of Paul to the Christians that he was writing to. Remember, he wasn't writing to people who were lost and needed to be baptized. He was writing to people who were already baptized. And he was reminding them of how they should live their lives in light of their baptism. You see, here's the beauty of baptism. 
Not only does it provide us with redemption as we are washed in the blood of Christ, baptism places us smack dab in the middle of the story that we read about in the Bible. Some 2,000 years ago, this world was filled with darkness. It was a dark place because the world was in exile. Imagine living in that day and time. Hope was a rare commodity. Some lived with false hope. Some, like the religious leaders, believed that they had nothing to fear when it came to spiritual matters. They wrongly assumed that they were safe and secure. The world was full of individuals who were cut off, alienated, estranged, banished, and exiled. Paul wrote these words in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He said, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Skip down to verse 21, it reads, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, stop right there, then something amazing happened. At the right time, God sent his only begotten son to die for the ungodly. Jesus came to end the exile. He is Emmanuel which is God with us. He is the deliverer that the world so desperately needed. The Son of Man came as the light of the world. He came to break the chains of sin and death. He came to make dead people live. And notice Colossians 1, 15 through 20. It reads, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Mankind was exiled from God. God stepped in and implemented a plan to reconcile humanity back to himself. The price for our rebellion was paid. We were saved from our long exile and we were granted citizenship in the kingdom where we get to dwell with our king for all eternity. Do you read your Bible with that story in mind? Because you should. Read the Bible with an understanding of the story and with the understanding of your place in this story. Baptism is the moment that you became a part of God's story. Verses 9 and following Colossians 1 reads, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joylessly, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We are God's chosen people. We are the new Israel. We were once not a people. We were once exiled. We were once on the outside looking in, but not anymore. We have been grafted into the kingdom. It's no longer about us. I mean, excuse me, it's no longer about Israel. It's now about us too. The kingdom is not exclusive to the Jews. Christ came to grant access to all of us. The kingdom has been expanded. May I remind you of what Paul wrote in Galatians 3, starting in verse 24. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. 
For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. We are Abraham's descendants. We are heirs according to promise. The kingdom that the prophets spoke of is here. The Messiah has come, and he has brought light into a dark world. He has come to bring the faithful remnant home. He has come to make dead people live. Colossians 2, verse 9 and following, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. And he is head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross. My friends, a miracle has occurred. You were dead. Now you're alive. The only way to get out from from under the reign of sin is to die. Paul said as much in Romans 6. We read it a moment ago. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death, and therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism is the means by which we died. Death can no longer have any claim over us since we have been buried and resurrected. That's a miracle. You ever thought of your baptism as a miracle? That's precisely what it is. And we need to consider our baptism as part of a bigger narrative. Your death, burial, and resurrection not only puts you in contact with the blood of Christ and thus cleanses you from your sins, your baptism also inserts you directly into the story of redemption. You are now a kingdom citizen. And what is required of a kingdom citizen? To be faithful unto death? Are you living like someone who has been resurrected? Are you living like a kingdom citizen? Those of you who have been baptized, think think about your baptism. Think back on that. Remember that moment. That moment in your past should have been a defining moment. And you know what? It still should be. Our baptism should affect our daily living. When was the last time you thought about a decision in life and you said to yourself, I'm doing this because of my baptism? All Christians should consider their lives in light of their baptism. That's a major theme across Paul's epistles. Live out your baptism. Because baptism is not something you do and then forget. Baptism is not just about where you go when you die. Baptism is about how you live until you die. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. I love you all. Bye-bye.